Hi everyone and welcome back to the Hardcore Podcast. My name is Romy J and I'm your host and in this podcast we chat about everything. My goal with this podcast is to leave no topic in the dance world not spoken about. The Hardcore Podcast is a safe and honest space to have these conversations with professionals and pre-professionals in the industry. To stay up to date with all the latest Hardcore Podcast information and news, please head over to our Instagram which is at the underscore hardcore h-a-r-d-c-o-r-p-s underscore podcast everything's going to be posted there from guests to news to anything and without further ado let's get on to the episode hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast in this week's episode, I'm joined with Jamil Devaney Lawrence. Hi, Jamil. Hello. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Good. Tired. Good. <laughs> tired. I I can bet you. I bet you're tired. Yeah, a different kind of tired. Good tired. Good tired, but also like brain tired as we mm. move from one show to the next. And it's yeah. nice to have a constant stream of shows. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's exciting. Okay, let's start with a quick fire round. Starting off with where are you currently? Where am I currently? I'm at the Lantern Studio Theatre, uh, which is the current launching home or, or, or the launch base for Ballet Nights. Exciting. And next question is, what is your least favourite ballet step? My least favourite ballet step? <laughs> um, I always had trouble with double cabrioles because I have quite long legs and quite a short body. Um, it, it takes quite a lot to get them to open and close twice. So yeah, I, I think one step I never really conquered was double cabrioles. It's W Capriles are hard. I can't even do. Well, I can, but it's it's hard. <laughs> a Capriol, I don't like doing a Capriol when they're like. Oh. We'll we'll do a lesson after this. We can try we can and crack try it and together. Try and do a yeah. Um. Next question is: What is your favorite piece of choreography, either that you've been in or that you've seen? Oh, okay. Well, I love everything David Dawson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I understand. Um, understands a strange word to use, but like. The geometry of that movement for me is so clear that when I was doing it and when I'm watching it, it just sort of makes sense in a way that, that feels great to watch and great to experience. Yeah. I saw my first David Dawson piece last week. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, a big part of my, my history was actually David giving me one of his works for the original Ballet Nights concept. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I wouldn't be sitting here now if it wasn't for that. So um, his work is transformational on stage and transformational off stage. And... Uh, yeah, that's why, for me, that's kind of my favourite choreography, really. Yeah. Um, and next question is, what is your favourite piece of dancewear that you, <laughs> like, wore? <laughs> favourite piece of dancewear? Like, costume or for class? Anything. For class. Like, what's your go-to? Well, so what's I your favourite piece? I have this Adidas top that I bought on my first trip to America. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, like, a big deal that we went on tour. Always wanted to travel like that. And I bought this Adidas top. And I've always had it, and I didn't know until I was leaving Scottish Ballet. Um, and then I left Scottish Ballet, and when I came back to the company, I taught this dance something. And one of my old friends, uh, Maddie, uh, uh, she basically said to me, that's the iconic Jamil Top, which I didn't know. <laughs> um, so after she called it that, Kayla as well said that, um, Kayla Marie Tarantello and um, Maddie Squire. Yeah, they both said that's the iconic Jamil Top, and I was like, okay, well, that's my favourite top now. <laughs> 
It's what you're known for, the, the top. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no, I don't think I'm known no? for the top. I think I'd be known for, um, what else? Well, I usually had to wear like a big mask on stage. I know it's not really oh. dance wear, but yeah. Any big over-the-top costume, that was usually that was... going to me, for some reason, hiding my real face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, and last question of the quick fire round is, what is your favourite food? My favourite food is chicken wings. And it was dethroned for a while while I was vegan for six years, but yeah. Oh, you were vegan? I was vegan for like six years. Sports, athletic, vegan and all that stuff. Okay, yep. But then uh, COVID nearly killed me, so I had to get back on meat for various reasons. And yeah, chicken wings is where it's at for me. Fair enough. You've got to do what you've got to do. Um, Going into the bulk of the episode, um, talk talk to the listeners, or talk to us about your journey into like professional ballet training going into your career at Scottish Ballet and kind of what did that look like growing up okay well um I grew up I grew up essentially in the East London Community Centre which my mother um created it did everything from ballet tap jazz singing music you name it mm-hmm. I was playing like five instruments and 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 dancing around the stage in all kinds of outfits with a lot of props actually um, <laughs> And uh, while that was all going on, I was also at a private boys' school. I was very lucky growing up to go to a really good school. Um, but early on, at about 11 years old, they started making decisions about what you'd be when you'd grow up. You know, at 11 years old, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be an accountant. And I knew at that time, well, this is a bit much, you know, I'm still painting figures. And I basically thought I was a rocket at one point or a pirate. So I made the decision to... Um, well, I, I said to my mother, I don't want to do that. And uh, she said, let's take you to stage school. So I went to Arts Educational School, Tring Park, which I think is now just called Tring Park. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there I did basically more of the same, but obviously every day rather than after school. So I was doing a lot of ballet jazz and, and continued my music, and but also a lot of academic work. And, and back then I was able to do something like five A-levels, um, which I think they've scrapped now <laughs> as of today. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was able to do a lot of um, study as well. So I, I never lost touch with my IT in particular as well. Uh, and then I also went to Trinity College of Music, where I continued my music training at the weekends, and Royal Ballet Associates, so I kept my touch point in London. Um, yeah, and then when I got to, at that time, at 17, if you didn't have a job, you were basically designated a failure. Uh, um, and I know times have changed. So yeah, at 17, there was only two upper school years at Tring, there wasn't a third year at the time. Oh. Uh, yeah, so you were in that upper school and you were like, get a job where you've, you've you know, you're worth nothing you know come on so anyway I, I I had a very late I was a very late bloomer I grew up very quickly um, I lost my father and had to sort of cope with all of that and so I threw myself into ballet and when I graduated I did a couple of auditions and I knew immediately I didn't have what I needed um, I didn't have the knowledge um, especially technically to move forwards uh, with that so I called up Bruce Sampson at Central School of Ballet I think I vaguely sort of cried down the phone saying I want to be a ballet dancer help um, and again, back then, he just sort of said, sure, come along. And, and literally, the, I, I, it was in the old building. There's a basement yeah. studio. Um, he walked in as I was doing a couple of double tours or something, took me upstairs and said, we'll do that, no problem. Um, so we did. And then, yeah, once I'd been to Central, I did first year, second year and third year all in the same sort of year. Um, because I was obviously very useful for their touring company, having had a lot of training, yeah. but also missing stuff. So I would kind of straddle all three years. Um, and I did a bit more of that and we'd been to um, somewhere on tour where Ashley Page, the director of Scottish Ballet, had seen me perform and 
I, I didn't know that at the time. I do remember vaguely, actually, people running around saying, Ashley Page is here, Ashley Page is here. And I didn't know anything while I was in survival mode, so I didn't. I could barely aware that you could get paid for this. Um, I just wanted to be in a company. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, like, six months later, my teacher at the time was like, you're going to Scotland? I went to Scotland. I didn't know there was a Scottish ballet. And, uh, yeah, I know, it's just, yeah, how times have changed. And Ashley walked in at the end of the class as I landed my last double tour. So I was like, there's no way I'm getting a job. He's not seen me dance. But then he came upstairs with me. To his, he had a magical office at that time in their old building. Yeah. Um, and he basically said, here's your contract. And I was like, hang on a minute. You haven't looked at my CV. What the hell? <laughs> and he was like, oh, I'll have a look at it. They looked at it, threw it away. And was like, no, no, I saw you in a show. And I believe you have what it takes to you know, be an important part of the many personalities in that company at the time. Back then, um, it was a huge mix of people that were strong in contemporary, strong in ballet, maybe um, took up dance late, actually, in one case. Well, it used to be a soldier, one of the guys. Oh. Um, yeah, it was a huge sort of... Um, I, I think of it like a travelling circus <laughs> of like amazing personalities that were putting on these shows, and he could see where I could fit within that. Um, so it was really exciting to be chosen as part mm. of that story. Uh, and that's how I ended up dancing professionally, essentially. Wow. And then you stayed at Scottish Ballet that whole... I did. I, I stayed at Scottish Ballet through a change of director, through promotions mm-hmm. and things like this as well. Um, and I think everything up until COVID, you know, I, I was struggling towards, just, just before the end, of, just before COVID started, I was really struggling with a lot of things, actually. Um, there weren't any real professional development pathways for me, and there wasn't much in terms of um, actively looking at the dancer's growth or artistic growth. It was very much, um, you are this and this is your job and it's not going anywhere. Uh, And me and a few people at that time, I think weirdly enough, it was a good time to go into something like a pandemic if there ever is a good time. Mm. Because we kind of had that space to look at ourselves and say, well, hang on a minute, Um, this isn't necessarily what we signed up for. Um, And despite the stress, the understandable stress and and, and needs of a repertoire company, um, I was just looking for much more for me, for my life, for what I wanted to do. And so I made the call and, 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 and that was that really. And one of the things that was a big part of that was Scottish Ballet, um, when we were furloughed, we were able to do other things. And I took that as a, as a golden ticket to, I, I kicked off with Fun Freelance Dance and, yeah. and did the stuff for the freelancers. I filmed my first music videos. Um, I filmed all over the UK. I was driving all over the UK safely and with masks and all that, but um, picking up work all over the place because I'd made a wise decision to get involved in uh, uh, capturing dance Mm -hmm. um, but way before on on mobile and it turned out (laughs) as we all know now that was the thing that was the jam Um, so yeah that's that's kind of how that all mixed down Mm. yeah that's so interesting and also just like interesting to hear because it would have been you know going back to even when you were 17 and you know that whole kind of ideology that if you didn't get a job like after those two years of upper school and how that's also changed now but the fact that then you went back into education you know to polish things up and to get to a point where you felt employable essentially but even I don't know if you felt employable like that whole idea of being feeling ready for a job yeah, it's I mean, scary. so I had, I had oh. a great problem, which was um, I could get everyone to look at me, but when they would look at me and I'd get the attention, what was I going to be doing? And, and I think I had a really great teacher called Paul Lewis. He was like, look, everyone's looking at you when you need them to be looking at you in the audition. 
and you're just doing, you're just dancing some rubbish. And I was like, well, yeah, those are the facts right there. Um, I needed figures like Paul because obviously I didn't have a father at the time. I needed mm-hmm. a sort of male leadership figure in my life. It's something that I personally respond to always. Mm-hmm. And um, he he explained that to me. And I, I can think of a really good friend of mine. I won't name him, but he won't mind this story because he's very successful in musical theatre now. But we were at this Northern Ballet audition, which wasn't even an audition. You see, many people are so nervous and they're caught up in it. With I was always looking, I was trying to see behind the curtain and how was this working. And I already knew this wasn't an audition because they'd shipped in these three guys from the Royal Ballet School who were much older than us and ready for a job. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, okay, this is a demonstration. And so I had my ears and eyes open. And there's my friend, my musical theatre friend, in like these leg warmers and these things you would never wear in a professional ballet company. And there's a lot you can get away with, but you won't get away with this. Okay. (laughs) And and I often laugh with him about that, about what we look like. Like, you know, because we, when you go to Tring at at that time with, you know, social media was still fairly new. I remember the dawn of Facebook while I was at Tring. Mm. Um, You didn't, uh, you felt like the only guy in dance. There weren't many men in the school. Um, there's more, many more now, but at the time, you know, I was one of two guys in my year. Yeah. Uh, so you feel like you're the only one that has this stuff, and then you go to a place where they've got sort of fifty-fifty at the Royal Ballet School, ten guys and ten ladies, and you, you, your world gets very big, very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was this. I, I've always, I always say that some of my career is a matter of survival. So there was a question of figuring out um, how was I going to get through this, and needing further training was definitely um, a part of that. Yeah. It's yeah, it's quite. It is so interesting to see and also hear as someone who's obviously dancing in this like generation how much things have changed in that and the experiences, which is why I love doing this. Um, during your professional career, what were some like challenges that you? I don't know, like if you want to talk around like that decision of moving out of dancing during COVID, like more like when did you, like that feeling of like this is ready because it's quite a scary step to step out of a job that's a job, like you've been there for yeah, a of time. No, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's highly unfair to hold over an artist's head, you, like you said, a safe job. So safety, yeah. money, um, you know, there were a lot of games being played with many of the artists of, you know, well, you could step out if you want, but, you know, how well do you think you'll do? Um, it turns out very well, but um, <laughs> it, I think that I think when you're in a paye company situation, you know yeah. there's a lot of great things that come with a company, regardless of how you feel about the the, the direction of, of the stuff on stage. You've got a family that you can establish. You've got um, an immediate reaction should you be injured, should you need assistance. Yeah. You've got a fantastic technical team that you can learn so much from. Like I couldn't put the shows I put on now without the amazing team at Scottish Ballet. Like I always say that Scottish Ballet have the most amazing technical team and have for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember once doing a show down here in London and there were several different companies involved and uh, basically they were looking to our team for how to fix things, which is, um, I'm sure there's some nuance in there. But yeah, I, I remember having that class leading department um, and other elements like that. We have a very strong costume and wardrobe department over the years. Um, these are things that you can learn from. These are the strengths of being in a company. But obviously the other thing is that, you know, a company is a big organisation and a lot of decisions, unfortunately, in the current climate, get made by one or two single people. And their decision making is often questionable. 
Um, there aren't many in the know, you know, in terms of board level who can oversee those decisions and kind of say, well, you know, there's a very high leaving rate or there seems to be some unhappiness here or we've noticed that there's a drop off in intake. Um, I think that um, the, these are things that I was also hyper aware of. It was a real problem for anyone trying trying to be my boss because uh, I would unfortunately, without thinking, just say what I felt and could see, um, which is how I compare, if you've noticed, in the show in Bali Nights. I just kind of say, I, I always say this about Bali Nights, I'm so tired and so much has gone into getting the show on and they say, oh, have you got a script? And there's never been time to write a script. I don't have I was wondering if you'd written a script. Nothing. Like, I just have the programme with me and because I have a personal connection to everything on stage or yeah. they've been chosen for a reason... Um, you know, or each piece also serves a very specific function for the audience. Mm. I just the only thing left after all of that is the truth, and and the truth seems to be uh, a, a a very uh, strong thing to have uh, when trying to do anything mm. actually. Uh, and, and that that's how I found that's how I found things when I was in Scotland. So you know, I wasn't eligible for certain um, opportunities as a creative. I went somewhere else and just put my show on anyway and it would always get a good review or it would have an impact or there would be some media or press attention and this started very early on and continued all the way through and so I think at the time I left Scottish Ballet I'd, I'd set myself up with a lot of opportunity already I remember thinking right that's about nine months of stuff that I know is definitely going to happen okay um, and then when I get to month three or four I'll have a then yeah well, I think also the things I'm learning are the things I can also turn into a business, into a yeah. job. So, you know, my professional development program, which I know you've also witnessed and been a part of and, and been on the class for, um, you know, th that was a direct result of me saying to many freelance dancers who feel helpless and can't figure out a way in, what do I do? And say, OK, well, let's look at CVs, let's look at videos. What is an employer looking for? Uh, what might a wider company be looking for? from simple things like tracking analytics to see that actually nobody's watched my video so I'm probably not getting a call back um, to much more advanced concepts like how do you structure a uh, showreel so that it includes all the things you need um, to be accepted into the audition. Yeah. I always say I can't do the audition for you um, but I can certainly help you get in the room. And, and again these are results of, of the challenges I was facing in the ballet company. Uh, there, there were many. Um, one other big challenge as well is that I wasn't from the Royal Ballet School. Yeah. And one of the things in certain companies is that when you have an overwhelming intake from the same place, um, you can sometimes feel left out. Uh, you didn't experience the same things that they experienced. Um, and often there's sort of an unwritten rule of, of, well, you'll never really be eligible for certain things because you didn't have that same training. Um, however, as I find out, I went to another school yeah. and that's made a lot of those people ineligible for the things that I'm doing now. Um, difference being, I'm more than willing to open the door and bring people into the fold and it's an unbelievable family of collaboration going on right now, not just on Ballet Nights but all the coming productions and we're all invested in creating a better scenario for dancers, mm -hmm. for audience um, and of course, importantly, <laughs> on the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. So all, all of those things, those are challenges that I witnessed firsthand in the company and things that I'm now having my my shot at um, as we speak and I might fail and that's totally fine failure is an option yeah. um, but it's certainly it's quite freeing to only be able to blame yourself when things go wrong and yeah. you know there's other things in the dance company you might be like oh well this is because of 
you know, I'm not cast in this because I'm hated or something. Yeah. And now on the other side, understanding all those logistical decisions, mm-hmm. I'm still unpicking some of those worst moments that I really struggled with personally, yeah. which I think could have been greatly demystified just by communication. Um, yeah. When I had a dance company last year, uh, those dancers were given a weekly meeting with me um, every week, mm. five minutes if I can spare it for each person to make sure that each person their journey is being, you know, they're not on that road alone, they've got someone with them and can then make, I think, better decisions and sleep better at night, quite frankly, because we all agree about what's going on. At ballet nights, everyone agrees that we're having a good time. That's the end of it. Yeah. It's so important. I mean, like, I feel like miscommunication in a, like, ballet company setting is very, is unfortunately very common, like, that feeling of being like almost feeling of being silenced that you can't like speak up about stuff, especially in that like first year. And like I've spoken to so many young dancers who, especially in the early years of their career, not feeling like they can, like either feeling ignored or like they can't speak up about being injured or like all this sort of stuff. And I think going into an environment where like you're saying, like you're able, you're you're in control because you're running the whole like the thing. Mm. Um, it's nice to be in that position after everything. Yeah, there's some really exciting directors I'm talking to at the moment who understand the concept of professional development and yeah. personal development, and they're putting things into contracts now or discussing things with their dancers that are, are called literally artistic development or personal professional That's, development, yeah. it, it would be, you'd have to be wearing a blindfold not to see the number of dancers in their early 30s who have called it a day at dance companies. Yeah. And when I was in a dance company in the most important years, which was at the beginning, I had highly experienced, highly qualified dancers who had been on stages all around the world teaching me how to navigate the stage professionally. And when I now come into contact with young dancers at the same age I first got a job, many of whom haven't even graduated anymore. Yeah. Um, there's a huge knowledge gap where things haven't been passed on. Yep. Um, and I think that if we don't fight to keep dancers in their jobs, in companies, and satisfied you yep. know, as human beings, because when you reach 30 to 40, you might have had children, you might have owned your first home, you might have other responsibilities. If we don't fight to keep those people in, uh, how do we pass the experience down to the next generation? And that's why it's so exciting to work with people like Stephen McRae and Ryoichi Hirano, who have been working with me not only to build the sort of ballet nights package um, for the artists, but also because they are literally, you know, in their 40s or or late 30s, they've had children, um, they are still dancing full out despite having, you know, detach their Achilles or having a bad back and all that stuff and Mm. the science doesn't lie and and the science the trend would be that dancers are dancing for longer and I'm a yeah I'm a huge advocate for the idea that companies should fight to keep this knowledge not in-house I don't mean in their own company because it's great to share Mm. uh, but keep these people in 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 those positions yeah Um, that's one of my many opinions yeah no I completely agree I mean like even just seeing both of them dance like last week at the ballet nights and just seeing how capable they are of so much and like oh, and even talking to dancers that have you know had children and then come back and how their dancing has changed and developed and that whole kind of idea of feeling supported as like a mother in a company 
and just like hopefully that's going to get easier and I know in some companies they do that really well um but there is definitely that thing of like okay 30 and like then your career like tapers off but it doesn't need to be that way yeah I, I think also you know I keep sort of banging on about my my shtick which is professional development I wanted to teach company class I wanted to coach dancers I wanted to be given an opportunity to find out either I wasn't good at those things or you know could make mistakes etc um, and the thing is you've done my class and I'm not trying to pitch myself here as, as a class teacher because I I'm able to teach less and less mm -hmm. but over the last year to two years I was teaching a company every day um, and you've been in my class personally in my mm -hmm. professional development programs I definitely have something to say and I'm very lucky that I've had all the parts put together from BP to be uh, for me to be allowed to say it yeah. however that was not happening for me in a company setting yeah. and I don't I, I, I will not accept the uh, excuses given I yeah. will not allow it that oh this undermines those in the management that teach class or this is something that um, you know you're moving outside of your box and um, the idea that you should be in a box in a company that is primarily an artistically driven unit yeah. it, it is not something I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand for no. and I know that many dancers aren't anymore and there are these as I said there's a huge refresh in the directorship across the UK right now yeah. and these these many like someone like um, Federico but also Aaron they are very close to their dance career so they know that yes. feeling and they've already facilitated many of their dancers doing things that were unheard of you know even 10 to 20 years ago yeah so it's an exciting new future um, and I understand the many challenges that these these dance company directors face mm -hmm. but as I said the professional development for dancers is something hugely close to my heart and I would say the main challenge I faced in a dance career is making time for those things yeah. up against you know to be fair 150 shows a year and an international tour and all this amazing <laughs> stuff yeah, you know yeah. Um, but you, you take those you take those things with you. You don't leave them behind when you're on tour. So oh, we'll be into touring in this this and this place by then. So we have to come back to this. Well, <laughs> there's a, nothing's happening for me in that interim. My headspace isn't changing if if something isn't done. Uh, and this is where we can get into those negative spaces, those negative places. And you do start looking at yourself. Um, you know, I I spent so much of my career upset with my body, upset with my shape upset that I'd maybe missed the I was still having a, a, a sort of feeling that I'd missed the boat because I'd you know maybe not learned pirouettes at nine years old and instead I'd learn them at ten um, th these are things that creep in when there's no honesty and no uh, yeah. contact filling that gap so yeah I mean I don't want to go down no, sort no, of no, negative yeah. pathway no, no, no. I feel no, I get I really I get that because yeah I started point late so I re I'm always thinking oh my god is it because I started point at like 14 yeah it's yeah I think anyone who's kind of gone into things that time a bit later or even just like anything that's like not what you know is like the status quo of going like doing junior associates from the age of 11 or like you know what I mean well I had to go from you don't have those feet for myself to well I have these feet or yeah. you don't have um you know, there, there were some negative things about my body that were often brought up. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have something that it doesn't, regardless of what it is, you, yeah. you, you don't have this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I realised almost instantly, as, as, as soon as I could get out there in front of other people, what I did have. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, 
the thing is, to do what I'm trying to do, you wouldn't be able to have a full-time dance career alongside it. And my hope yeah. is that the next generation, if I can build for them um, the career that that I wish I could have had, mm. um, free from those kind of worries. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, oh, if you could go back, what could you do? Well, I wouldn't have done anything differently, but I certainly would have loved a much more positive approach and, and just more knowledge around what was going on and why. You can't expect dancers to understand, especially if they're fresh out of dance college, to understand the highest end uh, business chat in the boardroom that's yeah. happened about a programming decision. Yeah. Uh, you can't expect them to what have read the notes or to know automatically and just to see that result in a change on the schedule with no explanation this is where things are kind of yeah. going wrong so, yeah yeah no i completely agree i think that moves really well into talking about ballet nights which is what you're doing now but i know it's not right like it's also been going on for like a couple of years you've been building yeah, Since kind COVID? of. Well, sort of. Ish. I mean, let, I can clear it up for you. Yeah, so you can clear it up. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a. I, it's interesting because it's pitched as a new launch, but obviously some people have come across the name Ballet Nights before. So, so breaking it down, uh, with a budget of seven thousand pounds in twenty twenty one, I made a promise to my now wife that I would get her back on stage in Swan Lake because when Swan Lake was cancelled, David Dawson Swan Lake due to. Um, Covid, she was absolutely devastated, like inconsolable. Oh. And I don't know why I said it because I'd never produced anything. I'd, I've made a lot as a choreographer, but I'd never put shows together. And I was like, I will get you on stage in Swan Lake. I really don't know why I said it. <laughs> I mean, we won't get into it now, but I have a strong belief in ideas being living things that you channel. Yeah. But yeah, th this thing entered me that you were going to put the show on, and I went for a trip with a sponsor of mine at the time, um, and it was a golf trip. And my friend Henry from English National Ballet was with me. And we'd had an amazing day. We won't talk about the details. And um, <laughs> at the end, we were sitting in these two massive sofas. And he said to me, what kind of show would you put on if you could put one on? And I started to describe it. So I'd sent a message to David, who in 2016, I'd already said to him, how would we get your work on stage? Again, don't know why I said that, because I didn't even have a, you know, a clue why. But, but in 2021, in two months, I turned around the first ballet nights, which was 10 acts um, in a variety show format. The format was clear. I had a marketing plan, I had a press plan, and all of it was terrible. Like, my poster was horrendous, my um, press plan was basic, but then thankfully I'd met Judy Lipsy, my now publicist, who kind of gave me a hand with that. Mm -hmm. And I filled the theatre with 180 people, and I do not know, based on what you saw the other day, you know, I'd say the relaunch isn't far off what we originally did, especially in terms of the production on stage itself. Mm -hmm. The backstage has had a huge upgrade, the audience experience a massive upgrade. Um, but yeah, I don't know how we pulled it off, but in 2021, £7,000, we did the concept and we had major headliners. You know, we had David Dawson, we had um, Katia and Gabrielle Froler from um, English National Ballet doing Don Q. Mm -hmm. We had all kinds of exciting emerging voices like Kennedy, like Daniel Davidson, um, Hannah Rudd, Victor on the piano, which is Elton John's piano, which a lot of people are still scratching their heads about. Why I forgot that. Um, <laughs> So I did that in 2021, Okay. then I moved on to the next things because I knew to do, I was really frustrated in the wings actually at the end of that show, everyone was celebrating and I was just frustrated because I knew that this, I already knew it worked and I knew that I needed um, an investor, uh, I, I needed backing yep. to do this um, and I knew that this was not going to be Arts Council compatible because it's very ambitious, it requires a lot of money and I'm all about paying artists what they're worth, yeah. which is why I'll forever be grateful to those 2021 artists that of course didn't receive anything like what I can give them now with Ballet yeah. Nights. So fast forward to 2023, 
Constance is performing Capelia in London with Scottish Ballet. Yeah. And uh, she won this award for, which is great. Yeah. And then I get this, um, <laughs> I get this message from someone who's connected to one of the artists I work with, Kennedy, uh, and they say, "Would you like to go for dinner?" And you know, I have to, at this time, I was essentially still trying to figure out how I was going to recover from the year before, not having a company anymore and all this. Yeah. And uh, so, of course, I went for dinner, and it was one of the most amazing restaurants I've ever been to. Like, I think most people would go to something like that as their 50th birthday or something, I always say. Um, <laughs> but instead, this was just a casual dinner. Lovely. And it was a very simple question, uh, conversation with the investor, uh, as, it, as it should be, really, which is, you know, here's something great. How do you make it happen? However, unlike most artists, I was able to pull out one of my specialties, which is a spreadsheet and a balance spreadsheet. And I think it was very clear to those at that dinner that all we really needed was some backing mm. to get this up and running, not just for them to see a return, but for many investors, hopefully in the future, to see a, a serious return on, on their investment. Yeah. We have to remember how we got here. You know, people talk about like Diaghilev and they talk about the artistic side. But Diaghilev had backing, and so did, you know, if you think about the Medici's during the transformation, um, during the Renaissance, that, that these great changes in, in art history happened because of philanthropic backing. Mm. Um, but that philanthropic backing are for things that people actually really want to see as well. Mm. So, you know, the, but what's good about ballet nights um, for an audience is that if you don't like the first thing, you've got nine other things you're going to see. Yeah. Uh, whereas, of course, if you don't like... An, the concept of the hour and a half ballet five minutes in you got to sit there for the yeah. remaining hour and 25 yeah. minutes yeah so i showed them the, I, I showed them the spreadsheet rather and um showed them the spreadsheet and a week later it was happening and, and actually it was a, a, i'm still in it there's like this period of disbelief so yeah. you know i was like I, I i realized now it wasn't touch and go at all like we were going ahead but yeah. at that time you know i was a bit tentative and yeah. would it happen maybe it wouldn't yeah Fast forward to now, we've got a show, we've got a whole team from designer to marketing to yeah. social media to publicist to all of it. And I've got all the key moving parts mm -hmm. to make this opportunity possible. Yeah. It's not just about Ballet Nights. Ballet Nights is one of many productions that we have in the pipeline. But as I've said to all the freelancers on my Jamil Lawrence creation program and any artist and also many choreographers who now come to visit me, this is our opportunity. You know, if this doesn't work, dance is in big trouble because... Yeah. Arts Council money is not tiding everyone over. No, the company it's not. I used to work at, the companies across Wales where I spent my last year, um, even the National Theatres now received a cut. So um, nothing is secure, but shows that can turn profit, the same way musical theatre has a thriving ecology right now. Yep. Um, it's good for everyone. And you know, there's the other one I get criticism is access. Well, if you look at Premier League football, Premier League football, which is you know a billion dollar enterprise, is yeah. creating access to football in every school, yeah. in every neighbourhood, yeah. in every part of the UK. Mm -hmm. Dance can do the same thing. Dance yeah. has done it in the past, you know, but the Royal Ballet can't do it on their own. They're doing their absolute best, but they can't do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And I think that in each region, relying on the national companies to take the the uh, you know bear the brunt of all of yeah. these things on top of producing touring productions. It's not sustainable and it's not realistic. So to move forwards, you know, I, I tell you another part about that dinner actually that's really interesting. The question was asked about my professional development, about my films, about all these things I was doing. Yeah. Who's paying for this? And the answer was me. Yeah. You know, but the caveat to that is not me, but the profit turning model that I use. If yeah. it doesn't work on a spreadsheet, yeah. it's not happening in real life. 
So I think by being really stringent in creating models that should function yeah. and being willing to cancel them. You know, I have called off workshops and classes for those who've not sold and not invested in sharing it as wide as they can yeah. because on a very practical level, I wouldn't be able to pay them otherwise. Yeah. So a lot of my initial projects had a sort of 20-day clause where like if by day 20 to go, we don't have enough sales, we yeah. will have to reevaluate. Yeah. By having that in place, it's actually now woken up others, uh, other creatives to the idea that maybe they should look at financial models and if they want their work to be made so badly, like I did, um, how do we get it done yeah. without going to the same you know, trough as everyone else and yeah. drawing on that limited supply? Um, so yeah, that yeah. ballet night, sorry. <laughs> oh, so, in so interesting. Um, I mean, I remember when I came, like kind of when I first started like seeing it on my social media, I was like, oh my God, like I was doing some research, I was like, oh my God, got a whole team going on. I was like, I thought that was really cool because I feel like sometimes things get put out into the world, but they haven't, they're not actually like, I say ready, like a, like I feel like you had, every, you had a social media, it wasn't just you essentially. Mm. Um, and I thought that was for a change. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's but it also shows that there's yeah you've got money behind it, and it's going somewhere, which is exciting, really like exciting for you. Money is kind of irrelevant, which I know is easy okay. to say, but value is where it's at. Yeah. So if you can create value, the money will follow. Yeah. And I think that that's what I found with the professional development program. You know, I put that out with no hope of success, but it was a sort of hail mary because. In December, I was unemployed. Mm -hmm. You know, I had no future either because at the Christmas, no one's hiring, and it's very hard to string something together January, February onwards. Mm -hmm. So I put the intensive out just before the beginning of December, and I'd sold out the week before for the January. Mm -hmm. Now, what had I created? Huge value. You know, in the intensive week, you're getting footage, you're getting access to many choreographers who are creating employment. We're getting um, access to talks that really matter, like how do you construct a showreel or equity you know jumping in for those that don't know what equity is because they're not in companies mm -hmm. and I think that that value people are willing to pay for it you know for I think that first intensive was 175 or maybe 200 tops and you're walking away with what could potentially be thousands of pounds of assets and some of those dancers have done that you know I, I always say I've got about 200 people now who are constantly through the door for Jamil Lawrence creation and 40 of those people have now seen work indirectly or in some cases directly as a result. I get phone calls all the time. Do you know any dancers? Do you have anyone who looks like a pedestrian was a recent one? Do you have anyone who's this tall or this small or that? Exactly. And, and, and that value is returned to the people that matter most, which are the people who come through these doors or come to work with me on projects. So there's never been a moment of you know, I'm doing this to kind of further my own agenda. You don't, you know, this isn't the Jamil Lawrence nights, it's the ballet nights. Yeah. And it, one of the things that I had to come to terms with, which was a hard one, because uh, <laughs> as a performer, you have a natural reaction, mm. which is that th there will have to be other hosts. For yeah. me to have ballet nights on in Japan, in Singapore, in New York and Dubai, all at the same time, yeah, you um, can't do I can't be the only host. So no. now there's a new opportunity for people who have danced or know about dance to come on stage and present work, which is something that's not happening very often anywhere, mm. but is something I would like to really establish as a new genre, a new mode for um, ex-dancers to explore. Because yeah. no one can tell you better what it's like in those situations than the people that have been through it themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah, completely agree. Um, 
well, you kind of touched on it just there, but what are your, what's the goal for Thigh Nights? I mean, I don't know if there's like an end goal or it's like you're progressing like by the end of this time, like by the end of the year. Sure. Yes. Well, we have we have the autumn season, so yeah. we have three programs, uh, six shows, and I said on stage the other night I've run out of suits because I never had to do more than one back to back. And uh, yeah, we we would like to have a spring season, mm-hmm. and that's something that's uh, in talks right now. Yeah. Um, we have a director of international development, okay. uh, Ross, who's come on board, uh, who works with my head of marketing, James, and they are exploring the international uh, appetite for this, okay. which is very high, I should add. Um, I think this is a less unusual thing, Um, not the show format, but the idea of having a good time at a theatre, you know, meeting the artists afterwards. I I draw all my ideas from Formula One, from Premier League football, from music gigs, you know, these things that people are willing to depart with. I think I saw £875 for a ticket to Madonna the other day. Now, suddenly that makes a £65 to £120 ticket price look quite small. value is where it's at people will pay what they're willing to pay for an experience they really want to have mm-hmm. and i know for a fact that this is one of the best experiences you've had it yourself and um, to have in dance you know a celebration of the artists you get to meet the artists afterwards you get to see them right up close and um, our programs don't look like programs that you usually get at you know our program is probably closer to a car show or a, a yacht showroom than it is to a um, you know, and what are those things? Well, they're very aspirational. Mm-hmm. So making ballet something that's aspirational. Mm-hmm. I don't just want people to want to come to the show. I would like artists to really want to be in the show. Yeah. You know, I want the Ballet Nights t-shirt. I want the Ballet Nights backstage pass. Why? Because it's cool and because yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Um, it's fresh. And the most important thing as well is that we are a complementary platform to those main stage experiences. And yep. this has been, rece- I'd say by 90% of all the companies across the UK understand this concept. You can see a small section of a work and you might really connect with that work. Yeah. The natural next step is to go and see the full version. Absolutely. You know, I had a really healthy conversation with one of the international, I think potentially biggest company in the world internationally. Uh, at least they've got the most money and why would they be talking to me? Well, it's because when they're in the UK doing Sadler's Wells, they could also feel their hungry young choreographers on stage here. And I can say, if you'd like to see more, they're sad as well, yeah. which is now pretty easy to get to thanks to the Elizabeth line and yeah. the Jubilee line. So there you go. But that's, I mean, it's an absolutely natural connection. You're kind of you're in an environment where you can see excerpts of a bigger ballet or work from a particular choreographer that's then doing work at their home company, or like you said, you have hungry choreographers that want to put mm. on work and put on stage, but maybe they don't have, they're not able to do that in their home company. Like, well, yeah. also, we are a production company. Yeah. I've got a lot of choreographers who now have someone to talk to about their ideas. But yeah. one of the things that's where we always get stuck is I give my three commissioning questions. And one of those questions is, uh, what is the audience invite? And, you know, there is an argument for art in a vacuum, but it's not an argument that I'm going to be having with anyone in this current environment. Mm-hmm. The idea that we should all make something and if everyone hates it, that's fine because it's art. <laughs> great but um dance is on its knees yeah. you know we are not selling out stadiums and until we are selling out stadiums the same way Andre Ryu is or the same way that Michael McIntyre can I, I haven't really got much time for that argument so yeah. choreographers are now going to face this challenge from me which is what are you trying to say and what is the audience invite mm-hmm. I think that's opened the door for many choreographers who now visit me on a weekly basis daily basis almost um, and we really hash it out 
So if anyone's listening to this and they are a choreographer and they've got an idea, if it works on paper, if there's a spreadsheet you want to show me, I will listen. There's no one I'm not letting in here. Mm -hmm. There's a strange thing right now where it's almost impenetrable to get programmed in a dance company. You know, that, that this idea that there's a waiting list for five years. If you're programming five years ahead... to an all the, all the, really? well, of course. I mean, all the major companies need to present a plan. Okay, but five years. Yeah. If you're programming five years ahead and a COVID hits, this is the result. So I think there's a little bit of give and take here that needs to happen with that side. Mm -hmm. I'm keeping us versatile and agile because I want to be responsive. You know, if something's a massive hit at Sadler's World, I want the after party here. And by after party, of course, I mean a show. Yeah. And then maybe followed by an after party. <laughs> um, you know, th these are, that's another concept that many choreographers don't understand you know why can't i get in at that company well they're programmed for the next five to ten years mm. crazy <laughs> but at the same time yes. they face a different challenge which is they've got to justify that yeah. to their board to the arts council yeah. I, I, yeah. I totally get it but yeah. um as i said covid comes along all that kind of goes out the window doesn't it yeah. really so I, I think that the secret sauce in ballet nights um you know, there's incredible artist performances on stage, mm -hmm. but they are housed within a format, within an idea. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about that format is that should the worst happen, like we had with George getting injured for the first show, for example, um, before, and he couldn't do the show, um, someone like Joe can step in. But even if Joseph Taylor couldn't step in, um, for George Lang that was, uh, we could always say to Gavin, do you have another work? And if Gavin doesn't have another work, could we look at another emerging choreographer? These are how we can start to reposition. Um, to do that repositioning, things need to exist. For yeah. things to exist, we need to be um, commissioning them. Yeah. It's a sort of circular. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. No, I... Yeah, completely. It makes sense. It's exciting. Um, and I guess, like, to the listeners listening, um, where can they find more information? If they want? So... Ballynights.com mm -hmm. for everything Ballynights or Ballynights.com forward slash tickets. Mm -hmm. um, I think that for your listeners, there'll be this question, and this question is making itself known in reviews and other places, which is what is Ballynights? Yeah. And 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 Ballynights is a storied evening of you know world class movement. There is a compare, so it's a little bit like a stand up club, but there's fantastic music, so it's a bit like a jazz club. There's world class dance, so it's a bit like a trip to Sadler's Wells. But in a variety style evening, which kind of makes it a bit like um, a <laughs> raw variety performance. The, I, I'm now fairly confident in saying nothing else like it seems to exist. I haven't come across anything similar in this field. Yeah. However, I'm already looking at Rumble in the Jungle around the corner from here and other events that take something celebrated and reposition it so that more audiences, new audiences, um, those that maybe have never been to dance before, can come and have a great time, yeah. have a drink watch some amazing dance and then enjoy the party afterwards yeah exactly i think that puts it really well into words i really enjoyed coming last week and i i think that really covers the vibe i'm glad you there came you and thank you for your video as well your social media video oh. was fantastic it's all right i encourage all our audiences to just take as many videos <laughs> as they like as many pictures as they like because People need to know, you know, the word is out and there's only 200 and I think it's 270 seats now because we had to take a few out to improve the view. And mm -hmm. um, we've been very responsive to feedback, so we've improved the view. And uh, yeah, 270 seats. It's not a lot of seats once the secret's out on this mm -hmm. thing. 
So, uh, yeah, seats are going and are going. Uh, grab them while you can. Yeah, I will leave the link down below um, in the show notes. But before we wrap up, do you have any last words, any like advice for listeners, any thoughts, feelings? This is an opportunity for everyone in dance to move forwards uh, in a new and exciting way. Uh, it's been done before and demonstrated in history. It's a way of thinking that requires a re-evaluation of the existing status quo. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to try something different. You know, I've been banging my head against the wall for the best part of about three to four years with new ideas like this. And to get one through and achieve it in its, you know, although this is an early outcome, it very much is an ultimate outcome because uh, you were there the other night. So it's just super fantastic to have everyone here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, if you want to get involved, just drop me an email, jamil at valleynights.com. And let's talk about how you see either your place in Ballet Nights or other productions um, that can move forward. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much, Jamil. And thank you to everyone that tuned in to this week's episode. Bye.